a lot of what they've been finding is that yes, as our hormones drop off, when we take in carbohydrates, our body just isn't using them as well. So for women, that means it's not putting it back into the muscle. It's not getting it ready to be used as energy. It's just more quickly storing it as fat. And there are a couple of things that actually make a difference in that. So one is timing those carbohydrates. So using them right around our workouts. Um, Cause unfortunately women hear that and then they're like, ah, low carb, that'll be the solution. But we know if we go low carb, we actually just ruin all of the training. So instead it's fueling before, it's during, it's that 30 minute window after, and that's when the body is really primed to turn all of those carbs into energy. Welcome to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'm your host, Dirk Friel. In each episode, we'll sit down with industry experts to discuss coaching methodologies, the latest research, and leading tools for endurance training. Visit trainingpeaks.com for more training and coaching resources. My guest today is Amanda Brooks, who is the author of the Run to the Finish book and popular blog of the same name. She has written thousands of articles, all of which are free and available on her blog. Amanda has made a name for herself by being the go-to coach for the middle-of-the-pack runner that is trying to do their best, stay injury-free, and train healthy while still living a balanced life. As a certified run coach and personal trainer, she has helped thousands of runners achieve their goals over the past decade. I hope you enjoy today's episode and can learn a few tips that will help you run for a lifetime. Amanda Brooks, thanks for joining me today. Uh, you, you know, I kind of think of you as the wiki of running. You have an amazing blog, Run to the Finish uh, blog and book, Run to the Finish. And you kind of are all things running. So uh, thanks for joining me today on, on the CoachCast. Yeah, it's always a great opportunity when I get to chat running. Yeah, awesome. Me too. This is the best part of my job for sure. Um, you know, uh, as I mentioned, you've got this amazing blog, um, all kinds of great tips there. Tell us more about how you got into creating the blog, when you started that, the book, getting into running, just more about your background. Yeah, I love that. I had a friend who once told me I was like a running dictionary and yeah. I'll take it. I love it. It means <laughs> I've done my research. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I started running in 2002, um, which is just really insane to say out loud. Um, <laughs> so at the time I was in college, I had some friends who were going to do a road trip to do the rock and roll Nashville half marathon. And I really wanted to go. It never crossed my mind that I could go and not run. So that got me started. And kind of immediately I fell in love with the fact that it was hard, but I was choosing to do it. So versus all the other things in life that either I had to do, someone was telling me to do, this was something I was choosing to do and I could keep seeing little wins and progress. Um, and so that's really kept me going for 20 plus years. Um, at the time I was also a journalism major, got out of school, didn't do much with that, but around 2007, when blogs were really kind of first taking off, I thought, yeah. well, this is a place where I could write a little bit and talk about running. And of course, initially it was just, it was like our version of Twitter. It was, here's what I yeah. did today. Right. Yeah. So it evolved over time till about 2012, turned it into my full-time job. And I really then got serious about 
writing articles that I thought were useful to other people. And so a lot less about here's my training and a lot more about what's going to help you. And man, it's been a wild ride, but really fun. So how did that lead into, into coaching? So at that point, I had been doing the blog about five years, and I was actually running these free challenges where I would have 2,000 people sign up. No one charged for anything back then. Right, so right. I didn't even think about charging. Um, and from that, there was so much connection, and then these people would start asking for coaching. And I really decided, okay, I need to get some certifications. I want to keep learning. Um, and so I did a bunch for free. And then it just kept kind of rolling from there. So I'd love to talk to you about your experience and thoughts around creating a long running career. So running for life, but not for your life, but, you know, <laughs> having a long running career, making it fun, enjoyable um, and, and how to, you know, not just for the aging athlete, but how can we actually continue to make running fun. I, and I, I feel I've, I've gotten a lot of, you know, I got kind of got that vibe from your blog as well and your book about, you know, really kind of looking inward and running isn't all about performance. So, you know, tell me some more about your, th your, your thoughts around making it a, a, a lifelong activity. Yeah. Sometimes I think I'm kind of a funny running coach because I'm not like, Yes, we need right, to chase right. a PR. <laughs> right. Um, but that's been exciting because I have seen a lot more folks coming in the last few years that are like, I'm not really looking for a race. I just want to figure out how to do this consistently. And that's fun for me versus I have friends who've done one marathon and done. Right. And I think the difference tends to be when we do the one and done, it's often a really short, intense training period. And there's not really any thought about the after or the next. It's just, I've got to cross that one finish line and check it off. So instead, I'm often kind of looking at what is it that got you into running? Some folks will be like, no, I wanted to do that one marathon and that's really it. But for yeah. a lot of folks, it was, well, gosh, I just, I needed something to relieve stress. I wanted a reason to be outside. I wanted to hang out with some of my friends who enjoy it and we tend to really lose that why as we start racing, because it is really easy to use numbers as a gauge for whether our running is good or not. And that's great. It's exciting to celebrate a PR, but also constantly kind of coming back to that. Oh yeah. You know, I really like to just run because then I'm more productive at work today. I'm more creative. It's the only time where I'm not looking at my phone. <laughs> and I think those reasons are super helpful. So if we can find ways to kind of continually tap into that, it helps a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, I think I've heard you say no one cares what your pace is. Only you care. No one else cares, you know, what your pace is. And being a runner doesn't mean you have to do a marathon, right? Yeah. It, a small percentage of mar of runners do marathons. You can be a runner without doing them. It's like triathlon now. You know, you can be an absolute diehard triathlete and not do Ironman. Yeah, it's really interesting because once you get into kind of the running bubble, it feels like everyone is doing a marathon because all of a sudden you're hanging around a really select group of people who have already decided that they choose to run 
And then you're going to notice even the outliers in that of the, what is it? 0.1% right. of the entire world population has run a marathon. Right. Um, so it just starts to feel like everyone has done one. Yeah. And, you know, in terms of the aging side of things, we've, we're kind of seeing this like kind of wave, you know, it seems like, you know, there's a lot more aging runners, but that's because if you think about it, the, when was the running craze? Like, mid seventies, eighties. So those folks are, you know, hitting 70, you know, and we're seeing a lot of growth. Actually speaking of marathon, you know, I saw the largest growth age group growth was like 90 plus in the last five years was like 32% or something like that. Um, but you know, we're, we're seeing these folks that are actually setting new times, um, setting new, uh, amazing new records as, as they age. And um, it's giving us younger folks, you know, uh, someone to really look up to and, and, and learn from. Are you seeing that in your own business, kind of like older athletes coming to you looking for help? Yeah, I would say now 50% of who we're coaching are over 50. Oh, and wow. Yeah. And there's quite a few even that are in their 60s and 70s. And it's a yeah. variety. Some of them are like, man, I've got time now because I'm retired and I want to do right. this. Some of them are, I've been doing this a while, but I still feel like I have some potential. And both are really exciting just to see that we've stopped sort of saying, oh, I'm too old to do this. Yeah. Yeah. I have to throw this out. My mom, 77 years old, just won her age group in a half marathon in Sedona, Arizona last week. <laughs> that is so exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she's definitely, you know, and for her, it's teaming, you know, it's doing it with a friend. That's really motivating, getting out the door together. They set this goal of the half marathon, really not a time goal, but get to the finish. Um, and lo and behold, you know, they won the age group. Not, not too many folks in the age group, but that's definitely changing. Um, yeah. So I'm definitely proud of her for doing that. Um, so how about tips around consistency? Yeah, I'm a big, big believer in habits. Um, yeah. Just think habits kind of make your day go round, whether you realize they're happening or not. So for a lot of folks, when they come to us and they say, hey, I'm just trying to like get consistent and get back into this, it's for me looking at, okay, in your day, is there a time you can pick to show up consistently? And I don't want you to run seven days a week, but seven days a week at that time, I want you to show up. So you get on your foam roller or you stretch, or that's when you go for a walk, or it is the day you go for a run or strength train. And it just starts to become very routine that like, this is just what I do. And then you don't have to think about it. You don't have to debate with yourself if you have time or not. It's just what you do. And I think the second piece of that is making it small. So 10 minutes. Cool. If you don't feel like doing anything else after 10 minutes, you're done. Stop. But yeah. you've kept the habit alive so that tomorrow you'll get up and show up again. Yeah. 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 For me is just putting on the running gear <laughs> or whatever the activity calls for that day. If I can just get the gear on, get the equipment prepped, you know, if it's for my bike. Okay. Then I'm okay. I'm one step closer to getting out the door. And then uh, how do I feel? And yeah, as you mentioned, if, if it's just not right, it's okay to call it, you know, and I think you've mentioned that in terms of, um, recovery, it's, it's, 
you know, take the recovery when it's needed, not because the plan says to run today five miles, but you know, your body needs to override the actual words on paper. Yeah. I think it's hard sometimes because as athletes, we're kind of type A. We want to check everything off that's on the plan. I did every single thing. And so sometimes we know that while we're doing it, it feels awful. We are exhausted. Something is not right. And we kind of keep going. So that tends to be a lesson as we get a little older. And I feel like older athletes are actually much better at this. They're like, no, I've been down that road. And now I know if this is feeling bad, I need to stop. Maybe I'll feel better later today, or maybe I just need to try again tomorrow. Um, But it's kind of, to me, a sign of an athlete's maturity to be willing to listen to your body over exactly what's on the plan. Yeah. And I think we all sort of have our little nagging injuries or little aches and pains that oftentimes like you may mentally really want to go hit it. But if, if that little injury is kind of creeping up, you know, you need to give confidence to the athlete. I mean, I'm sure you probably have these, these conversations where it's like, you know, be, be consistent with like how you address this issue and let's manage to that issue. Um, so yeah, I'm, that's gotta be, you know, definitely a thing for older athletes, just like the, the nagging calf injury or whatever it may be. Yeah. I think it's, we know there's more recovery time needed as we get older, shoot at 41, I feel like compared to when I was 20. So certainly our athletes at 60. Um, and so sometimes that's addressing training differently, but then it's also figuring out why is that thing bothering you consistently? Because oftentimes we'll just like, ah, I'll just stretch my calf and it's fine. But let's actually figure out why this is happening. Is it your stride or is it lack of strength? Um, And hopefully we can make it become a thing of the past. Do you ever uh, uh, try and attack that ahead of time with like prehab, mobility, strength work? What are your thoughts around that within uh, your, your, your programming? Prehab is one of my favorite words. All right. I hit, a, I hit on something. <laughs> yes. Um, so one, all of my athletes know, like, do the warm up. They hear oh. me preach it. I probably say it once a week on social media, like, do the warm up. And for me, the warm up isn't just like some leg swings. It's where I actually sneak in prehab. So okay. it's doing some lunges, it's doing glute bridges, it's doing a little core work. So we're hitting on the hips, glutes, and core, which pretty much every PT will tell us are the main reasons we end up getting injured because they're weak. So if I can get you to sneak in, you know, three minutes, five minutes, even 10 minutes of that before every single run, oh man, that's a massive win. And the other thing we're doing is kind of waking up those muscles. We're ensuring everything is really engaged and ready to work when you go on your run. So that for me is kind of the sneaky way because I often feel like if I try to just add an additional thing to the week, it's sort of like, who has time for (laughs) another thing? But if it's just part of your routine, part of your warm up it's a lot easier to be consistent with it. You sound like my PT. I, <laughs> I actually have a three o'clock reminder every day to kind of do a little bit of my PT. And it's for my hips, my glutes, um, my core, my back. Because um, 
I, I definitely went through a period of just dry needling to try and like open up, you know, my hip flexor was so tight. Um, definitely from running. It's yeah. absolutely from, from running. So working into my, my warm up routine may be a, a good way to go about it. Do you, do you add any additional kind of strength training to any athlete programs? Yeah. It's interesting because when I started running, nobody talked about strength for runners. And uh, I feel like, man, what a disservice because now any athlete we coach, I tell them up front, like strength training is part of the program. Okay. Um, we just see too much data around the benefits and especially for our aging athletes, you just, you have to do it. So two days a week is kind of the minimum. And then I think oftentimes we get a little overwhelmed with there are so many options. And so I'm all about like, do what you can where you are. So if you need to do body weight right now, awesome. Start with body weight. And again, it goes back to cool. Now you've built that consistency. You have a little bit of belief around your ideas that you can strength train. Then we'll start to pick up some weights. Then we'll try and get you a little bit heavier. Um, but yeah, I think it just, it's a must for all of us now. Yeah. I think you've recently posted about trying to do more max. So, you know, whatever you can lift for five reps, you know, three times five, is that kind of what you, you recently posted about? Yeah. So, um, I think it's an interesting thing in our lifting. A lot of times we think we're lifting heavy, but then if you actually put in some of the like checks for yourself, like at the end of eight reps, are you already starting to be like, Ooh, my form is, this is about the last one I can do before my form's going to change. Or are you getting to 12 reps and like, yeah, things are burning, but my form is still totally fine. And right. I think that's honestly a lot of us. So when we're trying to go heavier, it's sort of checking in with yourself to say, well, if I'm getting to 12 reps, realistically, uh, I need to start picking up something heavier and go down to that five rep. And there are benefits to doing higher reps and doing lower reps with heavy. Um, but I think a lot of us stay too long at the higher rep range instead of picking up something heavier. Yeah. So how, how many days a week might you do max with uh, 50 plus versus 70 plus or experiences around working with athletes? Yeah, it kind of depends. And some of it depends on, yeah, their experience in lifting and if they're in marathon training. So mm. once they're kind of in like that heavier load, we're really trying to balance recovery with how heavy they're going. So each athlete's a little different, but if I can get one day that's a pretty heavy lift and then another day that's still lifting, but maybe you're going to end up with a little bit lighter, a little higher reps. Um, that'll often work. Or maybe it's just that we do only a few exercises kind of heavy lifting, and then we can still do some other stuff that day too. Cool. What about, um, how about like recovery tips or I guess, you know, what are some recovery routines you, you walk people through or, or, you know, favorite things you like having athletes do, you know, after some of their hard workouts? Yeah, I think honestly, one of the biggest ones that especially we're seeing for the female athletes is that refueling in that 30 minute window. So we've seen that a lot of times men can go a little bit longer, but especially for women and as we're aging, 
Um, getting in that protein and that carbs is huge for us to actually have any chance at maintaining muscle, um, getting people to actually just fuel enough during their workouts to kind of understand that, Hey, if you get super dehydrated and you get really low on fuel, you've actually compromised tomorrow's workout. And that's a mental shift for a lot of people because we feel like, Oh, I'm just taking this in because of this specific run and I feel fine. So I don't need it. Um, so when we start looking at everything you do today impacts tomorrow, I think that's kind of an interesting shift for a lot of people. How about any interesting foods or what are you trying to target within that 30 minute window for, you know, carb versus protein? Yeah. So I think two to one is generally the ratio that most of my very good RD friends kind of go after. Um, I tend to be a fan of core power because I am lazy and it's something I can like have in the car so that if I am finishing a trail run, I start chugging some protein right away. I'm hydrating and then I can eat some carbs with that. Um, but cause I feel like that's another issue for a lot of people is they're not hungry And we see that even more as we age, our hunger signals are off. And so then we choose not to eat, but that's really when your body and your muscles are primed to take in food. So liquid often works really well. Yeah. I'm definitely thirsty after workout. So if I can get that into the bottle, that's uh, (laughs) two for one for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, How about any advice for the nutrition on the run? You know, that's, I'd say probably most runners don't take anything in on 90 or hundred percent of their runs. So how do you get so? how do you introduce that and what might you introduce? Yeah. Interestingly, I mean, I was very much that runner living in Miami was probably something that helped me. I finally realized like I have to carry hydration and yeah. I see this so often everyone refuses to carry hydration. Um, so just starting with like, Hey, I just want you to carry something and I want you to take a sip every time your watch buzzes for a mile. And so again, we're starting to build that consistency. If it's a longer run, then I'm going to say, can you put some gnarly or some tailwind something in there? So you are getting some calories And then I start trying to like introduce the easiest foods for them. So a lot of times that might be applesauce pouches. Um, Mm -hmm. If I go straight to gels, hardly anyone in the universe takes their first gel and thinks that was awesome. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So we start with like some easy foods and again, having chatted with so many registered dietitians, I love their sort of example that because while you're running digestion is shut down as you start introducing these foods it actually tells your body to then start digesting food again so it will get easier over time so then when you're ready for gels because runs are really long and you need more carbs your body's actually ready for it and you won't have that oh that made me feel so bad kind of response yeah another good tip i like planning out my courses I'm going to run. So maybe like dropping a bottle, hiding a bottle somewhere where it's in the middle of like a figure eight kind of routine, you know, route. Then I, then it's like, I can have a more substance to it and maybe actually stop for a minute and pound half the bottle or whatever it might be. So yeah. I love that. I think the very first marathon I trained for, so I don't know, 2005 ish, um, we would drop bananas and water because I didn't know anything about anything else. Right. Um, and yeah, at least I was taking something in. So yeah, that's a great way to do it. 
Um, so speaking of carbs, protein, you know, I'd love to venture into perimenopause and menopause. And you've written, you've actually written a lot about, I never even thought about this before, obviously, but you know, the, the carb tolerance, reduced carb tolerance, um, around menopause and perimenopause and walk us through, you know, what is that? How does that affect energy recovery? Um, why, um, so yeah, I'm sure you've advised many female athletes around that, that, you know, that time of their life. And so love to hear your advice. Yeah. So I feel like we're really lucky to have Dr. Stacy Sims at this point oh. doing research and like paying attention to women at that point. Yeah. Half, um, half the population. Yes. There's just <laughs> so little information. Yeah. So um, a lot of what they've been finding is that yes, as our hormones drop off, when we take in carbohydrates, our body just isn't using them as well. So for women, that means it's not putting it back into the muscle. It's not getting it ready to be used as energy. It's just more quickly storing it as fat. And there are a couple of things that actually make a difference in that. So one is timing those carbohydrates. So using them right around our workouts. Um, Cause unfortunately women hear that and then they're like, ah, low carb, that'll be the solution. But we know if we go low carb, we actually just ruin all of the training. So instead it's fueling before it's during it's that 30 minute window after. And that's when the body is really primed to turn all of those carbs into energy. The other things that we've seen really help is doing the heavy lifting. So that also tells the muscles, yep, I want to take in more carbs and use them and doing some plyometrics or like that high intensity stuff which again is interesting because I just think back to even my parents and it was like, oh my goodness, at 60, like you shouldn't be doing high intensity, but <laughs> you can like you yeah. build up to it appropriately. And it it's really, really useful, especially because we're losing that fast twitch as we're getting older. So for both men and women right. building up, it's really useful. Oh, wow. Well, you're begging the question here around intensity and you, you said speed work, uh, I'd love to hear, you know, are you, are you adding speed work into a 70 year old training program? Yes. So again, going to depend on where they're at, but once they've got like a nice base going, then yeah, doing a little bit of plyo. And sometimes that means starting with like non jumping plyo and you kind of progress, um, but they can still do speed work and strides and hill repeats and yeah, all of it. So, and for a marathoner, how many days a week, what, what might a weekly routine look for? And let's stick with the menopause, you know, a topic here. So female athlete, older, um, how, you know, what, what are considerations? Um, and how would you introduce um, intensity within, uh, you know, a marathon program? Yeah. So one of the things that I've seen and I think is really interesting is more of a 10 day training cycle. Uh, um, and Bart Yasso talked about this eons and eons ago, but you almost never see anyone use it. So if people have a schedule that's flexible enough with the 10 day training cycle, it makes it a lot easier to get in hard workouts and then have more days in between the next hard one and also counting their long run as a hard day because it just takes more recovery. So right. um, 10-day training cycle is one option for folks who just are like, I'm never going to get a long run in during the week. Um, honestly, it's starting with 
looking at total training volume. So instead of immediately going to like 80, 20, it's more like 95, five, <laughs> and then maybe it's 90, 10. And we're paying attention to how that's working. The other thing is our standard training cycle is like three weeks hard, one week easy and kind of that. But as we get older, we may do better with two weeks hard, one week easy. And so just little shifts. And I've seen it's very different even by athlete, and it may be different by week for them, depending on just how they're feeling. Um, but just giving that additional recovery seems to get them through with their energy staying more consistent for the whole training cycle. Huh. So what kind of intensity training would you would you put into a program? So I always start with hill repeats. Um, I've just found what one, the data around them making us faster is there. Um, they're also the easiest way to add speed where we're unlikely to get injured because we're going to be forced into better running form because we're slightly leaning uphill. We have to drive our knees. So we're not going to overstride, um, which is what we tend to want to do when we try to run really fast. Um, so always kind of start with that. Um, and then even if we're adding in some plyos, it might start really simple, like toe taps. So where you've got the bench in front of you and you're kind of doing quick feet of tapping your toes and things like that. Um, and then progressing from there, I love doing things by effort. So especially when we're getting a little bit older and energy is different by the day, weather changes things. And so, doing intervals that are a hard effort or a medium effort and really describing what that's supposed to be like, I find is a lot more empowering than hit this pace window. Right. And for folks who have never done hill repeat, you know, are these 10 minute long hills? Like what is your definition? And like, literally, what does the workout say in terms of how to do a hill repeat? That's a good question. So there are a lot of ways to do them, but the way Really, we start every training if someone is doing hill repeats is they're usually first time around might be five by 20 seconds. Hill is going to be around a 7% incline. Um, so it's not horribly steep, but it, it's a pretty decent hill. Um, and for that 20 seconds, you're running hard. So it is give it all the gas. You've done a nice warm up. You've run a couple easy miles and now you're you're pushing it to see what you can do for that 20 seconds. And then I always say initially take as much recovery as you need. So get back down to the bottom of the hill, make sure it feels like your heart rate has dropped because I want you to try and make it just as far as you did that time on every subsequent rep. And then over the weeks, we'll build up the number of reps. So build up to maybe eight and then start to increase that time, maybe 30 seconds. And then I usually feel like someone's looking really strong and is ready for other speed work. Huh. And, and with the plyos, are you doing that on like a strength day or are they, is it separate from an actual like, you know, strength day? A lot of times I actually like to do some of them right before a speed run. So okay. um, it depends on what the movement is. If it's something like the toe taps and some high skips, those are great. We're kind of reinforcing some movement patterns. We're getting everything really primed. And so we can do some short reps of those. If it's some other stuff that's maybe a little more intense, jump squats, split jumps, whatever it might be. A lot of times those are, yeah, kind of a finisher around a strength workout. Yeah. I'm going to go back. You mentioned 80, 20 or 
95.5, you know, what, what are you referring to there? Yeah. Uh, you know, what is the 80? What is the 20? Yep. So for endurance runners, ideally, we want to make sure at least 80% of the total training volume for a given week is easy. So that leaves about 20% as the hard. And what I've seen people do is just look at that as specifically their running. But when you're also doing heavy strength training and adding in some of this plyo, it really is your total volume for the week. So if when you're strength training, your heart rate is really getting up there, that's going to end up in your 20%, not your 80% easy. And I, that's hugely important and often gets kind of skipped over. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, you have to educate athletes in terms of like holding back. Like if 80% of it is easy, you, 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 you call this low heart rate training, right? Yeah. <laughs> so how would you define that and train athletes to stick to that? So I definitely do not make all of our athletes use low heart rate. Um, mm -hmm. It worked really well for me. I was someone who had hormonal issues starting back in like 2012. So I've seen it work really well for a lot of our peri and menopausal athletes. Okay. Um, the entire idea of getting someone to run easy is a process of convincing them that slowing down actually has a lot of benefits. Um, heart rate to me is a great tool because oftentimes we'll override what our body is telling us because our watch says something that we don't like. And so with heart rate, your body is telling you exactly how hard you're working. Um, mm -hmm. Low heart rate uses a method from Mahafitone. So his formula is roughly 180 minus your age. There are others where you're playing with zones. So zone two, um, 220 minus your age, plus some other calculations, depending on how you go about it. Um, I think it's a process of deciding what you're going to use consistently to know that your runs are easy. What is that the talk test? Hey, I can, I can speak a couple of sentences freely. Cool. That's an easy run. Or you are going to use heart rate and then just be willing to adjust by day. So it's hotter or you didn't sleep well okay, cool. Like it feels harder. So slow down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and literally for a lot of folks, I mean, me included when I, you know, I run like really in the fall and winter. And when I introduce running into my program, I have to do a run walk. I mean, and I have to say that, you know, it can be embarrassing. Right. But I'm like, you know, it's okay. I'm going to do five minute jog, one minute walk, you know, 20 minutes of that. Um, and, and, the heart rate will tell you, you know, if I, my heart rate's getting over 140, like I, you know, that's getting into a harder zone. So need to hold back. It's hard to do for a lot of folks and, and like power hiking too. I'm like, just going out and doing a power hike can be great for building fitness and you're not running, but you're building a lot of great fitness around that. hundred percent. And I think, you know, as we're aging too, it's, it doesn't have to be just running to get you fitter for running. It can be cross training in other ways and feeling okay with that. I think it's been interesting to see too, sort of a, we think, well, I'm a runner. And so if I like these other things and want to do them, uh, that's a problem. It means I'm less of a runner, but it's not, <laughs> yeah. you'll still be a great runner because of those other things. Yeah. No. And if you can break it apart, you know, if you're working the plyos and the strength and some hill repeats, you're working on like the biomechanical side of running 
and taking that pounding, but then separating out the aerobic side and building that aerobic conditioning, which may not be all running. Eventually you build an, enough of both. You can combine them and you know, you can maintain the run for the whole marathon, but that's not the, the goal on day one. Right? So it's the progression. And what's great is that you can be a coach and it's not per se like performance focused. It's building it day by day, building up the, the, the confidence in, in the athlete and seeing the progression that's not really based on pace per se, but it's just, we're making these milestones along the way. Um, do you ever have athletes do group runs and what are your thoughts around finding groups or work, you know, running with groups? How often, uh, the, the good and bad and ugly of group group runs. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of runners prefer to run by themselves, but I also think that's a lot of fear. Sometimes it's fear that I'm going to be too slow for the group. Um, and so people just won't actually go and make that connection. Um, I enjoy both. I probably spend the majority of my time running solo because I am too lazy to go to runs in the evening, <laughs> which yeah. is when most group runs are. Um, but the benefits are there. So especially if you're trying to do speed work, oh my gosh, when you're hitting, you know, 400 meter repeats, but you're on a track surrounded by other people, it doesn't really matter what pace they're running. It just gets you to push harder. It's why you push harder on race day. So if speed is a goal, the group is super helpful. If consistency, because you don't like running in the winter is a goal, again, the group is super helpful because now there are people that you want to go see, you've become friends with. And so you're more likely to just show up, even if it's two days a week, um, two is better than zero. So the downside to groups is running too hard on your easy days. Right. Um, so I do see that a lot. Um, and even with the athletes we coach when they say like, I know I probably go too hard when I do this group, but it makes me so happy. Then I kind of start looking at it as, okay, how can we, how can we work this in somehow? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. can we turn this into a tempo run? So can you actually make them run just slightly faster? <laughs> um, yeah. Or can you ask them to slow down, like, or whatever it might be, but how can we keep this thing that brings you joy, but actually make it work? Yeah. You know, I, I have someone I train with and we've gotten in the routine where it's like, okay, today is our, you know, moderate, easy day zone two, Right. And so we just randomly will call out our heart rate and I'll be like 138. And so he'll have to respond and say 142. And if either of us are above our heart rate governor, then we got to like back it down, you know, so we're That's that good. accountable to each other, very geeky. Um, <laughs> but you know, we definitely want to stick with that. And literally like we would just start racing each other if we weren't accountable to that, uh, routine that we found. So, um, that, that's one tip I have, um, any other secrets to a long longevity, uh, in terms of ru a running career we may have missed, or how would you wrap up, you know, the secrets of being a runner for a long, many decades? Yeah. I mean, I think, one of the big things is keeping the fun, keeping the joy mm. of it. So, right. um, probably number one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I took a like eight year break between my last marathons because I finally decided like, 
gosh, I'm not really having that much fun doing marathons. I'm having way more fun when I just go run 16 miles because I can run 16 miles, but not because it's part of this training plan. Um, so I do see that a lot too. Once we've done a certain distance, we feel like we just have to keep doing it. Um, and it's okay to chase different goals. I'm right now working on like the 10 K and I'm like, I've been running 20 years and never focused on the 10 K. So it's okay to change or decide you don't feel like racing or to love trails or try an obstacle race, um, just to keep it interesting. Yeah. And you, obstacle race and interesting. We, we never covered off on like cross training. Any, do you ever introduce other activities other than running and can that help athletes build a longer career? Yeah, they can be really helpful. I've, runners are a little difficult sometimes because they don't want to do anything else. Um, if I have someone who happens to already love cycling or biking, then I'm like, yes, this is staying in your week. Um, <laughs> okay. if, I can get them in a pool. That's amazing. Um, I tend to do rowing myself. I'm kind of that runner who doesn't do a whole lot of cardio outside of my runs besides the hikes and snowshoe kind of things. Um, So it often depends on time and if they're more injury prone. So if you tend to be more injury prone, then I often am trying to figure out how can I get you to do some aerobic work that's not running. Yeah. Yeah. The swimming, the cycling def- and the rowing, certainly that v- very low impact and mm-hmm. great for aerobic conditioning. So yeah. Thanks, Amanda. You know, how can people uh, follow you? I try to keep it pretty easy. So it's run to the finish is the website and pretty much on every social platform. Yeah. You got a lot of followers there and definitely go to your wiki, which is a run, <laughs> run to the finish blog and type in any subject matter in the search and you'll, you'll get all kinds of great, great, um, articles. So really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, hopefully I'll be running for the rest of my life. Like my, my mother is so, uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for all the, all the great tips and, uh, see you on the trails. Hopefully. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. Visit trainingpeaks.com for more training and coaching resources.